I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Tom Brennan. Tom is the founder of Proactive Risk with two decades of hands-on-the-keyboard experience building, breaking, and defending data for clients worldwide. He's an alumni of McAfee, Intel Security, SafeCode, TrustWave, White Hat, and the United States Marines. Tom served as the OWASP Foundation as an elected member of the Global Board of Directors for 10 years. He also founded the New Jersey OWASP chapter and grew the New York City chapter as president for 13 years. Today, Tom is associated with Crest International as its elected chairman of the Americas Board and participates as a technical advisor for New Jersey Institute of Technology, County College of Morris, Morris County Economic Development Corporation, the Rockaway Township Official, and is a member of its CERT team. In this episode, we discuss his start in information security, building secure software, giving back to the cybersecurity community, mentors he's had along the way, recommendations he gives to people starting out in InfoSec, starting the Hack NYC conference, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Well, Tom, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. How's uh how's the weather in New York these days? You know, I've been been away from New York for about a year now, but uh, I know you're still out in the uh, the beautiful tri-state area. Yes, I am. I'm uh, I'm located right outside Manhattan in uh, in northern New Jersey, and uh, we're just coming off uh, the latest nor'easter, so still have about a foot of snow or so in my area, and there's some more coming next week. Yeah, we're jealous in, in the Colorado area. We've gotten almost no snow this year, and it seems like I left the Northeast, and that's where it snowed the most. <laughs> well, from what I hear, it sounds like there's uh, m- many more skiing accidents in Denver these days than there is in New Jersey. Yeah, taking out cybersecurity professionals left and right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, how did you kind of, you know, before you know, ending up outside of Manhattan and, and in the greater New York City area, did you have, I believe, a more of a military background? Was the military background that you had part of the cybersecurity or did, was that something that came after? Ah, so uh, so ironically, the, uh, the the time in the Marine Corps was not directly related to cyber, but I'll, I'll explain. Um, I, originally, I was probably more cyber focused in, in, in the days of Pascal and learning how to use software uh, as a younger guy, uh, 87, 88, 89, that time frame. Uh, and it was suggested by uh, several individuals, including those in law enforcement, that it might be a good idea for me to maybe change careers and go join the military. Uh, so uh, what I decided to do was get out of running bulletin boards and, and doing things for educational purposes only and, and moved into a different sort of uh, focus. Uh, so I joined the Marine Corps, uh, learned a lot about uh, integrity, learned a lot about uh, you know, self-discipline and, and trying to do a greater good. Uh, really enjoyed my time with the Marine Corps as part of the uh, 2nd Amphibious Assault Battalion. And uh, it was a really good time. Uh, and then, unfortunately, I, I got hurt uh, in the military. I broke my back. Uh, and I got out of the military in, uh, in 91. Gotcha. And so at that point, you know, did you kind of, uh, t- turn your sights on it or does it directly into security at that point? 
Um, so it kind of, kind of went back to what I knew how to do. Uh, at that point, I went from doing sort of, uh, you know, physical hunt and kill type stuff to looking at cyber because that's sort of the area that I came from. And I was able to do that, uh, you know, from a chair uh, and was able to then, you know, blend those two skills together. So my first sort of uh, professional focus uh, after that was working with a private investigations firm uh, that did a lot of military work and did a lot of uh, investigative type work. And I became an in-house guy that was helping them on uh, the cyber stuff uh, that was a part of that conversation. And since I had the physical background as well, I, I helped out there a little bit, but again, not so much due to the injury. Um, and then quickly it became a conversation of, hey, we're doing uh, work on cyber devices uh, acquisitions, and we're looking to do investigative reports on devices and configurations. And since I had a, a existing knowledge that was there, it sort of exploded and these two worlds came together pretty quickly. Gotcha. And I also see from your background too, you, you, Got you were part of a uh, you know white hat security for a number of years and trust wave so you got some exposure to some of the larger you know kind of cybersecurity organizations you know, at the earlier days before people were really kind of latching on to what it is now what was it like then compared to what it is now being you know a cybersecurity professional 10 years ago so i think for me not much really has changed in that respect i think the the the, the marketing has and i think a lot of the uh, uh the fear uncertainty and doubt in the news has uh, made the industry you know, quite prominent. Um, but my, my short history has been with, uh, you know, organizations, both on the uh, software development side, I was a lead software development at ADP, a software company here in New Jersey, uh, and then worked with a, a well-known organization known as uh, DayTech Online, which was later acquired by Ameritrade. We were the, the first online transactional trading uh, firm on Wall Street. Um, but moving into the space from there, I, I kind of came up, if you will, in the area of uh, understanding technology, how cyber worked uh, from an investigative perspective, as well as from a development side. Uh, and then that sort of naturally moved over to sort of a, a security focus where I, I started to get involved in some of the associations. Uh, so early on, I, I participated in organizations like uh, the FBI InfraGuard. Uh, and to me, that was sort of a, a good calling. It was a blend in my region of New Jersey, of both some really talented and, and respectable uh, IT guys, as well as some law enforcement folks uh, and after September 11th, you know, everybody has a story. Uh, and mine was I was pissed off. And uh, here I am as a cyber and foreign military guy. And what could I do? Uh, so one of the things that we really focused on at that time was trying to look at our own, our own internal critical infrastructure here in the state of New Jersey and surrounding areas. Uh, and that really became sort of a focal point of, of me doing more things uh, that were security related. And it really hasn't stopped since then. I've noticed uh, in, in your career, too, and certainly how we've gotten to know each other through OWASP and some of the other organizations has been a large focus on application security. Um, I guess what, what kind of drew you to that area of cybersecurity as opposed to the myriad of other kind of sub-disciplines that occupy uh, what we all call cybersecurity? Yeah, so um, so I, I, I would say probably around the time I was involved with InfraGuard uh, on the board for New Jersey, um, I started to spend more time with web application security and doing more education and training there. So learning and looking for resources was always hard to find. I knew through my day tech days that it was, you know, kind of a, a nuanced area of trying to find you know, good techniques for three tier architectures and how we might configure, you know, systems in, in that sort of environment. And sharing knowledge was really critically important, but more importantly, it was hard, meaning hard to find good data. Um, so I sort of stayed focused on that uh, I got involved with the first OWASH chapter in 2004, I think it was in New Jersey. Uh, and that sort of started with a conversation around pizza and beer and 
trying to figure out what this thing called SQL injection was back in the day uh, and how he you had know, direct object reference and how these different areas of application security could be impactful uh, or could be uh, backdooring critical infrastructure. Yeah, we've certainly seen a, you know, a big change in infrastructure, particularly over the last couple of years. I just actually finished up a migration with my own organization of going to the cloud um, and moving a lot of stuff into Azure and quite Quite frankly, found myself, wow, I, d- I need less admin help than I do on just day-to-day operations, but then really found basically everything becomes application-based. Uh, that kind of layer of security becomes uh, a, new, a new challenge. Have, have you kind of seen that happen too with the greater migration into you know cloud infrastructure that people have to now focus their efforts a little bit differently than when it was just infrastructure they had in their own house? Sure. Yeah. And, and I think the, the analogies are something I've been kind of good at with explaining it to um, folks that are, you know, consumers or, or businesses that are trying to make be better. Um, biggest conversation that I think comes over and over again is, you know, network securities like Legos, where we compartmentalize and we put enclaves in place and we try our best to compartmentalize data flows. Uh, where web application security isn't isn't really that, right? Web application security particularly is clay. Uh, what do you want the application to do? How are we going to traverse data? And how are we going to protect it? And do you see, you know, kind of within the application development space, do you see still, I think some of the challenges we've all seen over the years is, I wouldn't say poor coding, I think that's an unfair characterization, but necessarily maybe not a thoughtfulness or a mindfulness about how to build secure coding into their applications. Are you starting to see that change uh, with organizations? I, I think I am. And, and, and that kind of does go back to the, the time I was spent with uh, organizations like White Hat Security with Jeremiah Grossman and, and that crew. Um, you know, web app security was an area of concern and at scale, it's a tremendous, tremendous task, right? It's one thing to say, you know, there's a, a few hundred web applications and something else to say there's a few million. And if we would think from a manual perspective that we would probably agree that it takes you know, a good 15 or 20 hours of a, a skillful human to do a, uh, an assessment of different classes of attack, then the amount of time multiplied by the web applications that are probably facing is not only not feasible, but almost impossible to, to conduct. So automation comes into play, uh, reasonable results come into play, manual validation comes into play, and truly you know, your attack surface or your risk exposure is what people are really looking at to determine how the business can operate and still having you know, threats public facing. Because I still think that um, what, what many of us forget is you know, popping a shell is important in the concept of a penetration test or an assessment that can prove a a reasonable issue of security problems. Uh, but from the business, uh, that's called risk. And every business is in place. And risk is part of that. So I still think we still forget sometimes, or uh, some people forget sometimes, that uh, organizations are, are, are uh, you know, taking risks in order to uh, drive value for their shareholders or to drive their mission if they're government-focused. Um, so there, there is acceptable risk that does need to be reviewed. And that comes into compartmentalization and system classification and in the areas that we both work in. So how can, you know, it, I guess where, where can we continue to bridge that divide between the business and the tech teams? Because I, I still see it where, you know, there's a push to ship product. It's just get it out, get it out, get it out. We'll worry about security later. And then when somebody gets burned, then they go, okay, I guess we have to rethink our strategy. But how, how can we get to them to kind of connect those dots early earlier in the process? So I, I would like to think that a lot of my uh, professional side or my professional hat is helping clients fix those problems and work on those hard issues. Uh, my volunteer time 
uh, goes into working with organizations. You mentioned one before, OWASP. Uh, I've been involved with that now for about 15 years um, and, and, and working in that community and helping sort of collaborate with other professionals uh, and business folks about what's reasonable uh, becomes standards, becomes best practices. Working with safe code and trying to drive things like the fundamental security practices, things like tactical threat modeling, uh, other guides that are around different areas. You know, all of these uh, activities that people do are really, I think, very, very important. And I couldn't sing, you know, higher praises for work that's being done over at, you know, the Center for Internet Security. Um, you know, Tony Sager and team, uh, we worked on the, uh, what was known as the CIS uh, Top 20, adopted by SANS, the SANS Top 20. And again, these are all things that when you get a, a group of people that collaborate together, great things come out of that. Uh, and we see that over and over again. We can reference things like P-Test uh, that Chris Nickerson and many have co collaborated on. We can look at things that have come out of uh, CS1 or DHS, you know, DHS's collaborations. These things that people produce are often great bodies of work. Um, how they're applied uh, to the organizations that may or may not consider cons uh, consuming them is another challenge, right? We can create the best practice, no problem. Having that best practice accepted, adapted, and applied, that's another conversation. That's typically where uh, standards come in and regulatory control and, and measurements of metric. Yeah, we certainly see a big a big shift with inside organizations, too, of who, who drives that change. You know, we're, particularly we've seen the CISO-type role fall underneath a CIO that's then reporting out to either maybe somebody in the board or the CEO. But we're seeing, I think, this shift now with organizations that are taking more of the CISO role as a risk manager that's reporting directly to the board. Do you think that kind of, I guess, realignment of some of the security positions within inside of an organization can help affect that change? I, I think it's, I think it's good that, that some organizations take that approach. I think what's really important is that the messaging is heard. Uh, the biggest problem I think I've seen over my years of working with different types of teams is exactly that. You know, it's the way teams operate. Um, you know, in the military side, you know, we've always had teams that you know live and die by by the team mentality and can trust the people behind you and are working collectively to accomplish a goal. And you don't get through the day uh, or the night. Uh, if you don't have that level of you know collaboration and trust, the business side, you know, there's many organizations that do a really good job focused on the team and the people, um, and then you know those are ones that are usually much more successful because uh, we probably would agree that the you know, the people problem uh, is still the issue of you know all the antiviruses and the anti uh, and the uh, and the products and, and widgets and firewalls you know versus Dave, uh, you know Dave Dave is the user. Uh, so Dave is going to find a way to manipulate and get around things to get his job done the best he can. Uh, and it should never be an adversarial discussion, right? If we can have our people uh, collectively part of the solution, then I think that the business is more resilient. Uh, and I think that a lot of people continue to still miss that in this day and age, that it's not about the blinky light. It's not about the technology, although that's helpful. Um, there is still a process that goes with that. And that's really where I spend most of my time is sort of coaching and uh, helping your organization understand that by demonstrating that to them, you know, through assessment work and through testing work and through areas of gap reviews. Gotcha. Now with, with, um, you know, a lot of what we've heard the last couple of years is that there's just not enough people doing cybersecurity work. And you know, I've had different people on the podcast and talked to people even offline about it, you know, that there's there are different ways to kind of break that down. 
Um, but there clearly is at least there, we need more people. Uh, we need to get them trained up. How do you think there's ways that we can kind of get more people involved with cybersecurity and get them the right type of skills to apply them to the immediate problems that we have now? So the way I approach that is sort of the way that some may follow with that as well is working with some of the universities and working with some of the academics and working with some of the, the STEM programs. Um, you know, like many in our field, you know, this is what I do for fun. Uh, and, and I actually work in the, in the field as well. So I'm very lucky. Uh, but, you know, making a few shout outs. I mean, I, I, I'm an advisor for the County College of Morris uh, here in Rockaway, uh, New Jersey area. I, I help out with NJIT. Uh, and also with various other associations and groups, um, by by putting time uh, into these things from a mentor relationship or a mentee uh, relationship, it's very important to have value. Um, and I think everybody in the security space, uh, or better yet, life, uh, should try to volunteer a little bit of time to share the knowledge that they bring to the table. Uh, and there's plenty of people out there that are hungry for it. So, you know, when we talk about the, the marketing conversation of security, and we say, oh, there's too many consoles and not enough people. We know that. That's 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 a no-brainer. So there needs to spend more time in looking at orchestration and making devices talk to each other. Um, as we all know, over the years, I think we've now seen everything with an API. And if it doesn't have an API, in many cases, it's out of the running for even consideration, right? Yeah. Um, but the idea is, is that you know people still need to understand the basics of operations, uh, of what the widgets are, are supposed to do and how they're used in context. And if you can have them communicate you know, machine A to machine B to machine C, fantastic. Uh, that sort of helps put together a visual pattern that humans can recognize. So it goes back to the conversation, right? Whether we talk DevOps, whether we talk security, whether we talk components, it's culture. And I think that's a really big, important conversation. Um, you know, I, 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 again, I do a lot with different groups. Uh, I'm currently we're very active with Crest uh, and moving Crest into the United States. Uh, they've done a, a considerable amount of work uh, originally in the UK and in Singapore, et cetera. But as we push into the United States in particular, uh, it, it, it goes down to a, uh, a level of uh, a level of people working together for a common output and a common goal. Um, so I'm very happy to be a part of that group. So with, with all the mentoring that you do do, I'm sure you get a lot of people that kind of come up to you and say, hey, look, you've, you've made it in this industry. I'm sure you get asked a lot, how, how do I get how do I get started? So what's the kind of common answer or the thing that you try to direct people to towards the most when they ask you that question? Well, uh, when I was, when I was with Intel, I did some, I uh, did an interview with uh, ITSP out in uh, AppSec Cali uh, and the conversation was about diversity and it was about, you know, how do we make, you know, more uh, people of this demographic or sex or religion, uh, you know, do more in a particular space, space like, like technology uh, and my response, whether it be politically correct or not, is, is really around the conversation of, you know, nobody knows you're a dog behind the keyboard, right? So the idea is, is what you produce. So today, I think there's a ton of material available for self-study. There's a lot of great content out there. There's a lot of great accessibility of events and conferences and online events and communication with people and face-to-face -face and doing things like this, listening to podcasts, et cetera. So if you're hungry and if you really want to learn something these days, I think the, the bar is pretty low. I think it's opportunistic for people to get involved. This is something they have an aptitude for. If they're looking at it simply for a paycheck, I, I, that's not the type of person I really want to work with to begin with. Uh, it's one thing to pay the bills. It's something completely different to be driven and passionate about something and be able to spend some time in it. So the, li you know, the life work balance is really important, but it comes down to that if information security is something that you care about, 
and you're deeply rooted in that conversation around improving health and humanity or, or, or helping with commerce or you know, saving puppy dogs, whatever it may be, um, if you're going to apply that passion to technology, um, many organizations will welcome you which means you can come in the front door uh, in a position, whether it be either as a, a low-level job, improve yourself, or an internship, or even a high-level job. Uh, but the point is, is that getting started in this community takes uh, both the people skills as well as some of the technical skills to get things done. Because you can have an extremely, extremely deep technical understanding of a particular topic and be the best at it, by the way. Uh, but you know, again, you still have to be able to communicate and be able to reach out and uh, you know, get in the car and, and go show up at a, a meetup or a meeting and, and make some relationships and, and uh, shake some hands. And that's how the community grows is by people doing things. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, since I started the podcast almost about a year and a half ago, I think that's been the, the biggest trend of talking to a lot of people like yourself that have been in this industry for some time is that, you know, you really need to be able to communicate. Like the communication skills and the, the soft skills are really what it comes down to because at the end of the day, we keep saying, you know, cybersecurity is really, it's a people problem. So once you understand people, you can you can communicate with them better. You can understand what some of the needs are um, and hopefully develop solutions. Would, would you say that's a, a fair assessment? I, I would say yes. I mean, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking here from the home office and I would definitely consider myself in the introvert bucket, right? Where that I'm perfectly happy to, to you know, I, I guess work behind a keyboard for hours at end until uh, the early morning hours. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes you got to put that that mentality down uh, and get off your ass and, and go out into the community and, and, and do some good and maybe apply some of that to a, a church or a synagogue or, or training somebody or being a mentor for something else. Uh, and if you can do that, you know, sort of cultural shift, that's really important. And, and if you can, or if it's not your thing, or you're, 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 you're not able to, a disability or whatever, that's fine. But my point is, is try to engage the community in a positive way. Uh, try, you know, try your way to, to use the ethics that you believe in, because everybody has their own set. Uh, but certainly try to use those items to, 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 to better humanity. And I think you'll find opportunity, whether it be working for organizations that need your skills on the critical infrastructure side, or, or whether it be working in you know, helping support of some other mission. Um, there, there is certainly not enough people that have the aptitude for the space um, or the desire. Uh, and I think those people are rare. So, you know, I encourage uh, more, more STEM, more tech, uh, and where there's opportunity, there's, you know, typically a reward. Yeah, it's interesting, too. You know, one of the things I try to impart on people's look, not, not everybody knows everything. So everybody has their imposter syndrome. Everybody is a little fearful that they don't know everything. But uh, there's usually something that everybody can bring to the table. And that kind of goes back to that diversity of everybody's uh, views and opinions can probably add some value and weight to you know what the problems are we're trying to solve. Yeah, yeah. And I think as we move forward, you know, the, the, the technology space is rapidly evolving, right? We all know that how quickly things are moving. And, you know, like my dad used to say, if you look around and snap your fingers, you know, life is over before you know it. Um, so as we push into the, the second chapter, I say, you know, I'm, all, I'm almost 50 years old. So I look at this now and say, well, what's next? You know, what's the next 10 years going to bring me? Uh, and, and from my perspective, it's really how am I going to guide, you know, my four kids uh, and what they're doing and how they're going to grow and what areas do I think are interesting that you know, they're also interested in. Uh, and I see a huge adoption around virtual reality and seeing that sort of push into everything my, 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 uh, my oldest uh, is involved in. Uh, and I see a lot of components of autonomous about, you know, the, the drone component of the 10 of the year old flying a drone and saying, this is how he's going to get to work when he's 18. <laughs> right. um, you know, those, those conversations are fun. Uh, and then I happen to live right behind uh, a U.S. Army base Picatinny. 
uh, and there's quite a bit of uh, projects that are happening in the area, uh, and of course around the world. So how we make things easier uh, and how things are, are, are being used for the convenience of humans, whether that be exoskeletons to help folks with MS move better, uh, whether that be health focused about looking for you know, DNA analysis, these are all things that are doing what? Typically improving something. So if there's an area that you're, you're interested in and you, you wanna help the world and you like tech, Figure out how you can apply what you're working on to something that you enjoy. And then, you know, work will always be work because that, that's why they call it work. But more importantly, folks will focus on things that they enjoy. Definitely. And, and you know, it's kind of speaking of giving back to the community and, and helping out and kind of doing that outreach. Uh, you were kind enough to bring me onto the Hack NYC team this year and kind of help promote that, um, which has been, it's been really interesting. But could you kind of step people through what was the what was the thought process about this conference and what's going to make it different? Sure, sure. So, um, so Hack New York City is actually uh, an interesting group. Um, so, what happened was there, there's a lot of uh, collaboration that happens, you know, all over the country, all over the world. Uh, but in New York City region, in particular, where I'm from, uh, there's 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 a lot of opportunity uh, and opportunity in particular around explosive growth in the OT space. Uh, and more and more of the focus has been there lately coming from organizations, you know, driving that conversation forward. Predictive analysis is a big word these days and, and operational controls. And certainly we have a lot of critical infrastructure that runs the Northeast. So when we were approached to uh, do an event that was gonna be more focused on that particular area of, uh, of interest, um, it, it kind of was 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 in, uh, revitalizing. Uh, I've done a lot with OWASP and particularly around the AppSec conferences and, and building that out. I, I ran a big AppSec conference in New York City, uh, about 2,500 people, and it was a great event. You know, but again, it was being done uh, in the OWASP circle, so it was really focused around open source and and that particular area. Uh, I saw this, quite frankly, as an opportunity to go outside and and, and be a little bit bigger. Uh, and really focus on areas of interest and concern. I've been impressed with a lot of the uh, autonomous vehicle type uh, hacking. I've been impressed with a lot of the OT stuff. Um, and these are areas that are, are always interesting because I think you know we're always learning. Um, and when the Critical Infrastructure Association of America wanted to put this on, I said, yeah, I, I would be happy to help out and help pull together a bunch of folks. So yourself and, and about 40 other people, I reached out to personally and thought it would be a really good opportunity to kind of put some of our uh, thoughts into a bucket and figure out where that comes out and hack New York City or New York City or excuse me, hacknyc.com. Uh, that event will be happening in May uh, and it'll be focused around predominantly critical infrastructure. Um, you know, these areas are, are not going away, right? They're, we're dependent on them from everything from healthcare to, you know, electricity to uh, automotive and, and, and et cetera. So these areas are not meant to be a generalist conference at the PC level. It's really meant to be more about applying it to enterprise and critical infrastructure for the benefit of those uh, in, in, in the United States in particular. That's that's the focus of the conference. You know, when, when you kind of you know, break down the different areas of, of critical infrastructure, again, telecommunications, energy, agriculture, um, health and human services. I mean, are, are there particular areas that you think are maybe the, the weaker of the areas or might, might produce the, um, I guess there's kind of two ways, areas that, that might have a little bit, might be a little softer target and, you know, compounded by the fact that they have the highest risk to, to everybody. I, I think that would be accurate, but here's how I break it down. When I worked on the Center for Internet Security Workforce uh, Development uh, white paper that came out, um, you know, there's lots of gaps in workforce, right? We keep going back to the people problem. 
Um, but the thing we need to also remember is also where the money is. Uh, individuals, including myself, uh, you know, when I worked for financial services companies, uh, these organizations, you know, try their best to recruit people uh, of a certain caliber, pay them really well, focus on the hard problems of financial services and moving money around. And you typically have a really good, talented team there that you know is really focused on the mission of that particular entity, particularly the you know the, the big banks. Uh, when you start looking at the different uh, categories of organizations, you, you touched on it before. You, know, you have folks that are in the in the heating considered critical infrastructure, public health. Uh, gas production, you know, security services, being police and military. These are areas that may or may not necessarily have the funding that are going to actively be hiring and recruiting um, people with high aptitude for these particular security related, you know, software focused areas. So um, when we ask ourselves, where is the low hanging fruit? I would look at the job market and say, okay, is the manufacturing organization that's working on a process control system that you know, may contain, I don't know, renewable energies or waste management, are they able to hire people at the same skill level, at the same dollar value that a, I don't know, a publicly traded um, healthcare organization would or a bank would? And you're probably going to answer that question, no. And that's based on where someone's going to go get a job. So now if we go back to the workforce conversation, you say you have 100 people that have the same skill set, where are they going to be looking predominantly for employment? In most cases, it's going to be where the money is or where the highest paid you know, salaries, that's the human nature. But then there are also going to be some people that are going to generate or focus on areas that are important to them. So again, what I'm saying is, is that when we look at where weaknesses may exist, uh, it's not difficult to look for low-hanging fruit tied to people. Uh, and where there's difficult of getting people to work in these particular industries, sometimes it's based on a realization of what things cost. Um, so it might be quick to say, hey, we're going to find a highly talented, skilled uh, person to work in the oil and gas market uh, you know, down in Dallas. Uh, but if we needed to have resources that was going to be working in some remote location in Oklahoma, perhaps they're not going to be willing to pay as much. And that does impact uh, the business uh, of critical infrastructure. Um, so go ahead. Oh, no, I say, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it, it's kind of what I think it's the same mantra we've been saying for for now for years in security that essentially everybody's a target and it applies to critical infrastructure and every subsection of that as well. Agreed. Agreed. So, I, and I think that, you know, as we illuminate risks or, you know, came, uh, you know, particularly targeted there, you know, we start seeing more and more conversation around OT uh, and, and in particular, that's because why that's because, you know, connectors are being made from the, you know, from the fields to the boardroom about, you know, transactional information around the network. And that's interesting. You know, we still have to advise people around, you know, air gapping systems and still advise people around controls and preparing, preparing for failure. Uh, and in many cases, you know, that's not looked upon favorably because it looks like it's security saying no, no, no. When it's actually advisory around, hey, this is a, a best practice to protect your perimeter so that your core process or your core widget or business uh, might not necessarily be disrupted from a, uh, an availability perspective. So, you know, going back to um, you know, the idea of, you know, how do we protect the castle? Um, in many cases, it's going to be with layered defense. And this is why we partnered with the NIST efforts around the cybersecurity framework, which, again, has, you know, some dust on it now and, and does need some updates to the areas of focus. But I couldn't agree more that it, it, the, the five core elements are still identify, uh, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Um, those areas are very, very important. I would add that I think it's important for organizations to look at things like deception technology and be able to infuse their uh, their their what I would call trap doors and uh, and sensors and tripwires uh, in places so that they can have some early warning of somebody in the wire. 
Um, and these things go back to standard philosophies where that if you know what you're trying to protect, uh, you want to go ahead and try your best to uh, establish, you know, where the weak points are and try your best to always harden them and be aware of how to conduct business in the, in the worst time. If there's a, a flood or a catastrophe or an insider threat that presses the wrong button, uh, how is that going to bring the business to its knees? And there should be some conversation around that. You know, why are there, why are there uh, in the movies, at least, why in the movies, why, how come there's two keys to fire the missiles, right? Because you want to have two people to have a, have an agreeable process that they've got some validation control. Again, kind of that example of, you know, understanding what we're protecting and applying the appropriate controls based on risk. Gotcha. So at, at the Hack NYC conference, what, what are the different tracks that are going to be uh, available to people? Great question. So there's a there's a there's about seven different uh, uh, rooms that are going to be providing different tracks. The tracks are broken out across the NIST framework. So there's more of the identify, the protect, the detect, the respond, and the recover tracks. Um, those tracks are what the call for speakers uh, uh, selections committee had picked and then rated those. We had about 150 submissions. Um, those submissions were then broken out. We took the the top, which was about 30 percent of them, uh, and those are been plugged in. We also have the, uh, a full day of what I call hands-on sort of educational workshops. Uh, and the workshops are gonna be focused around uh, various OT components. So for an example, we have uh, some activities happening with the, uh, the IMD Calvary movement. Uh, they're stepping in with some of their components. The ICS Village folks are involved. They'll be bringing some of their ICS Village components that you may have seen at DEF CON last year. Um, but again, bringing it East Coast, and I don't think there's never, I think there's never enough awareness of the issues. We have some interesting talks coming in from uh, both law enforcement, uh, counterintelligence type folks. Uh, and I'll give you one example. Uh, when, when Charlie Miller um, and, and uh, Chris and, and worked on even the Jeep project, right? And that was uh, Diamond Chrysler and, and having the remote hack on uh, over, the, uh, over the GSM network of the, of the Jeeps. And I own one of those trucks. I was really interested in that particular issue. What was interesting was when I know when Charlie and Chris were interviewed, there were questions around, you know, acceleration or being able to control steering and braking. Uh, and a lot of people said, oh, well, that, that affects one vehicle. That's really bad. And yeah, that, that's an interesting attack vector. Um, but what some of the people relative to Hack New York City had thought about that in particular was sitting around and saying, wow, what would happen if we made, you know, 3,000 Jeeps accelerate um, and turn left all at the same time uh, in a geographic area such as New York City? Um, all of a sudden, those sort of mass casualties, those mass threats, those ability to control things at scale become interesting. And I think what sometimes the media misses, it's not so much the, the vulnerability that's identified, but it's how is that vulnerability potentially going to cause risk to impact you know, human life? Uh, and that's really another focus of really the conference is looking at areas of interest uh, that evoke, uh, invoke uh, you know, problem sets that could be addressed uh, you know, with collective conversation. So uh, we're not trying to be um, uh, just another conference. It's really focused around sort of the, the critical infrastructure sp space, and particularly New York is a good place to highlight that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, what, what are the other, the, I would say, the cooler parts of the conference is going to be the GORUCK. Uh, this was my first kind of exposure of actually even knowing what that was. Can you kind of let people know what exactly that is? <laughs> sure, sure. So, uh, so for those that are, are focused on fitness, uh, and that does cross over into our technology space. Uh, GORUCK is really a celebrated effort around uh, fitness and being ready for the world's worst disasters. Uh, the conversation of urban survivalism, the idea of being able to be prepared for everything and trained for you know, the worst. Um, looking at GORUCK is a conversation of a, a blend 
Uh, it's a blend of basically being able to be physical uh, in, in a space of being able to uh, be able to d- determine what would happen in the worst case scenario. So, so picture this, you sign up for our urban uh, training, which is a one day training. And what that will be led by is Mickey D, who's a force recon Marine, uh, and he'll be focused on a uh, conversation around uh, you know, what would happen when there is a biohazard problem, let's say in New York City. He may take you underground through the subways, uh, through different areas to show you what it would be like to survive in a, in, a, in, a, in a fire situation that's out of control, or perhaps you know how to go ahead and purify water, or how to start a fire, or how to turn a, a cell phone into a stun gun. You know, lots of different crazy ideas about your know, survivalism in this space when you know, the world's at its worst. Um, so Go Rock is more of a, a technical focused area. It was founded by special forces guys. It was really focused on the ability to go out there and, and, and lead by example. And combining this with the cyber element, I think kind of blends two things together. It sort of makes people think and realize that you know cyber is a very important aspect of it. But at the same time, um, you know, how do you uh, how do you blend that together? And for some of the red teamers out there, you might appreciate uh, the idea of both the physical side and the and the cyber side. And when those two things are combined, some interesting opportunities happen. And that's what GoRuck is focused on, or that is what the uh, GoRuck constellation is focused on during Hack New York City. It's a time to bring together both the people uh, that are working in the cyber field and provide that sort of uh, uh, that teamwork. And the idea is you can't survive the the urban survival challenge uh, without working with the entire team of people that are going to be there. Gotcha. Yeah, no, it looks really cool. All, all my, uh, my pen testers got very excited when they saw that coming to town. So, you know, so it's, it's just a few weeks away. So what are the dates again and where, where can people get tickets? Sure. So hack New York obviously is hack NYC.com. Uh, tickets are only $50. So it's a very affordable conference for people to attend. Uh, we do that with uh, gracious thanks to all of our supporters and sponsors. Um, but that event is really meant to bring people together. It'll be located across the street from uh, a Port Authority in New York City. It'll be at 11 Times Square. Uh, there's training opportunities. And right now we're actually finalizing some of the workshops. Uh, workshops are also part of the conference. These are things like career fairs, workforce development, uh, hands-on application security reviews. Um, so we have one day of briefings, uh, which is focused across seven different tracks. We have one day of workshops, which is focused across two days. We also have some other trainings as well that are happening. So all these things together make up a, a typical conference, as many of us have attended. Uh, I think where the where the blend comes in here is the uh, is the community aspect of it, and it's 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 limited to the first six hundred people. Nice. Uh, so the event is just about sold out. But yeah, we would love to have as many people join us that could uh, participate. And I think that is really where uh, the community starts. Uh, it's you know how many people here keep. Uh, a quick Rolodex of, of friends and, and colleagues on speed dial when problems pop up. These are the type of events, these intimate events, I think are really where that happens. Uh, and then of course, everyone likes to celebrate and go out to, you know, big mecca events in different parts of the world. Um, the small conferences sort of keep it really intimate. Uh, and it's really important, I think, for the practitioners to be able to collaborate in a way that is not, um, uh, that is not, you know, overwhelming, but in a way that's very approachable. Uh, and the people that are there are, you know, come up and say hi and, and grab the grab a beer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was kind of the the same mentality of, of how I started the podcast is the types of conversations we have over beers and the more intimate conversations. So I, I think this is going to be a great event. So it's uh, May 8th through the 10th. Uh, so it's that kind of second week of May. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing everybody there and yourself, Tom. 
Great. Well, I appreciate the time and, uh, you know, the conference will be fun and uh, it's a good opportunity for organizations that are looking for people uh, to consider becoming a supporter. Uh, the job fair stuff or the workforce stuff is on, uh, is on May 9th. Uh, the conference itself is on May 8th. Um, so there's a couple different days for different things, but yeah, we'd love to have more people involved. And uh, I think it, at this point, it's, uh, it's, it's gotten to a critical mass, which is a great time to be a part of the conference. Yeah, for sure. And where else can people find more about, uh, about you? Uh, well, um, I'm, I'm kind of working on some projects, doing some stuff, having a good time. Uh, my, my little business is called Proactive Risk. So proactiverisk.com is, is my entity. Uh, but I'm really focused these days on building some SaaS-based platforms and some other projects for different clients. And uh, I try my best to stay behind the curtain as much as possible. Well, great. I'll be sure to put the, uh, the Hack NYC uh, information in the show notes as well as some links to, to you, Tom. Great, sir. I appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.